0: Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. This is our five-year anniversary episode. And when I began this podcast back in January 2019, it was really my own passion project, my own Digging deeper into learning about the field, connecting with other people, and just really immersing myself in different perspectives from people. And I must say, five years later, I am still amazed at all the different approaches and viewpoints. And there's always so much to learn. There's so much uh, expansiveness to this field. We've had guests that are, of course, sound healing practitioners, sound therapists music therapists, musicians and composers, as well as doctors and researchers, innovators, um, psychotherapists, dolphin researchers, it's limitless. This field is an amazing field to be involved in. So thank you so much for being along with me in these explorations. And we have a special guest for this five-year anniversary episode, a pioneer, a prominent figure in the sound healing field, Jonathan Goldman. What's really fun about this episode with Jonathan is that we go down memory lane. We get to learn more about him and how he came into this work, what was important to him, the realizations he had along the way, mentors and important people and discoveries that led to best-selling albums, many books, and things that are often quoted. You know, how did he uh, come into this work and research and teachings? And he shares uh, wonderful stories with us. He shares the four pillars of sound healing. We do a couple techniques together. And I just hope that uh, this wide range of things that we explore is enjoyable to you. This episode is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa in Sarasota, Florida. They have the country's largest showroom of vibrational tools. They are uh, extremely helpful when you're looking for a specific tool. You're looking to up level your sound healing practice, reach out to the Ohm shop at the or visit their luxury spa in Sarasota, Florida. They of course have that showroom with so many custom tools. They have workshops trainings, sound baths, and so many resources. So thank you so much to the Shop for the sponsorship. And I also want to shout out the International Sound Therapy Association, which is announcing the Wave Makers Conference, Harmonizing Minds and Transforming Lives, which is happening September 20th through 22nd in Sarasota, Florida, coming up this year. I'll be letting you know a little bit more about this conference uh, as we go along as a couple of uh, my guests for the podcasts are keynote speakers, so that'll be coming up soon. But if you'd like to learn more about this conference that's happening later this year, check out istasounds.org. In the meantime, please enjoy this five-year anniversary episode with Jonathan Goldman. Welcome, Jonathan Goldman. It is an honor and a blessing to have you here on the podcast. As I mentioned when I reached out, this is the five-year anniversary of this podcast, so to have you as the guest truly is an honor. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, Natalie, what a blessing to uh, be, if you like, uh, in the uh, fifth uh, annual uh, Rhythmatic Function of this uh, Waveform.
0: Right. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you. So why don't we go back a little bit? Let's talk about your background before the world that you're so immersed in now for so many decades. Perhaps how you got into music, any of those things uh, that you think might be relevant from uh, your background.
1: Well, thank you. Um, Golly, what can I say? Uh, I remember teaching myself guitar when I was around 13 years old because the Beatles came out. And you couldn't play I Want to Hold Your Hand on piano, which I, you know, had taken some lessons on. And um, after that, the uh, wild world of uh, rock and roll became uh, apparent to me. And I I was playing in uh, high school bands when I was 15, 16, 17, cut a single and all that stuff. Then went out to the, uh, I was in New Jersey at the time, and I went out to uh, the hinterlands of. uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and went to a uh, college at Boston University. Went to film school there. Actually, did a couple of uh, award winning films, including one which was a ver- visual interpretation of the uh, song Dear Prudence by the Beatles. Bring in the Beatles again. Beatles, Beatles have a, had a big influence probably on myself and a lot of other people. After that, sometime. I was down in Florida a couple of years after that as a disc jockey. I became the number one disc jockey in Central Florida, which was hilarious, and I, I learned a lot about mixing music from that experience when I came back uh, to the Boston area, and I was then playing in rock and roll bands, and then I had this experience that all leads into an experience in Cape Cod, Massachusetts when I'm about 29 years old, somewhere in the late 1970s. And I remember coming back from a break and strapping on my Stratocaster and um, starting to sing and play and becoming aware that the ambiance in the club was one of negativity and violence. Now I realize that the ambience was mostly due to the fact that people were imbibing in various intoxicants, alcohol, and many other things. But I also at the time realized that the music that I was creating was helping induce this ambience. And it was weird. I've been playing professionally, well, more or less professionally since I was about 14 or 15 years old. I was almost 30, so about 15 years. And I had this thought, gee, what if music can be used to make people feel good? It was that simple, but I'd never, I'd always been, look at me, aren't I great, aren't I cool, yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, what a a great guitar player I am, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, what am I contributing to the energy field that's there? And um, I'd never had that thought before. And about a week later, that thought shifted to, gee, I wonder if sound can be used to heal. And from there, doors just began to open up. Someone gave me a A flyer, it's still when we had paper there, and uh, it was for a workshop uh, taught by a woman named Sarah Benson. And. Um, I went into this uh, workshop, and it was, it was phenomenal, and then at some point in time and space, for some reason I was chosen to take one of these, a quartz crystal, sit in, uh, or lie down, I remember, in the center of the circle, and the people in the workshop basically were in a circle, and they chanted my name, and I went out of my body. I went into this amethyst pyramid in the woods. And when I came back to my body, I thought, gee, I've got to find out more about sound and I've got to find out more about crystals. And Sarah Benson became, oh, a dear, dear mentor to myself and then to my wife, Andy. And she's my son, Joshua's godmother. She passed on to the higher planes of uh, consciousness uh, some years ago. I think I'd like to say she's operating from the angelic planes there. But Sarah was just a wonderful, teacher of mine, and another great teacher just mentioning that. There are probably two major people, three actually, that uh, did it for me. Another was uh, Dr. John Bouyou, who I know you've uh, interviewed, and John was just always a great mentor of mine, and now a very dear friend. and. Uh, he was doing stuff that was just like unbelievable. I mean, he still, as you know, uh, you know, is just a wondrous being. And the final uh, third mentor, if you like, was a man by the name of Peter Guy Manners. Uh, and I'll tell you about him in a moment, but I uh, neglected to say that a couple of years after, I then, if you like, got the guidance to create an organization called The Sound Healers Association, that would have people for, I mean, once a month there'd be a me- meeting with probably about, that was live, they would have probably 50 people coming in there, and these people would come, uh, the uh, speakers would come from all over the planet just for the honor of speaking to this group and doing it, and then usually they would do a workshop The the next day, and I got this incredible uh, background in the field of sound, and um, there was a, there was a fellow there while I was doing this that I had heard of, by the name of Dr. Peter Guy Manners, who was from England and had. supposedly, this is, he was legendary because he had a uh, machine that supposedly used frequencies to heal. How crazy was this? And uh, I was first turned on to him by a fellow by the name, this is going back into memory lane, but that's okay, uh, Dr. Randall McClellan, who wrote a brilliant book called The Healing Forces of Music, History, Theory, and Practice. And uh, he uh, was also a mentor on a level, but um, he introduced me to the work of Peter Guy Manners, and then Manners and I sort of had an in, uh, interesting, uh, you know, connection to the degree where I would then, for several years after that, uh, sponsor him for workshops. He would stay with me for weeks in the Boston area, and then uh, in the uh, when I moved to Boulder, Colorado, in the Boulder, Colorado area, and. He was just an amazingly interesting person that very few people know about these days. He's sort of particularly disappeared from the annals of uh, history. But he invented an instrument that used sound. He, uh, first of all, he would have composite frequencies uh, that he used that work with five different, actually, composite frequencies. Uh, for all sorts of different imbalances, and um, I saw really outrageous things with this, and I thought this is very, very cool. And uh, this instrument still is, uh, if you like, in the uh, field of uh, conscious phenomena right now, there's a woman by the name of Mandara Cromwell, who uh, has now taken uh, the uh, cymatic instrument, which then became, you know, something else which then became something else and she's done it now where you can simply sit there with uh, your feet on these pads and it will generate the uh, energy into the body. And I, I thought it was, it was it was at the time. Great, great. Uh, Peter Manners was just it, it was crazy. Someday I may do a uh, communication purely on uh, Peter Manners because I think he was not from this planet. <laughs> <laughs> and those who knew him uh would probably agree with you, on, you know, on, on that one too so there we go do ask me a question because I'm rambling now oh um, no
0: it's great uh, it's great uh information and perhaps some some people have not heard of these names before so it's fantastic kind of the origins of a lot of this and yeah maybe uh to take us next you know really how did it build for you what was kind of the the next step after obviously having that realization um in that that club that oh wow this is kind of negative energy how can i use music to shift it yeah that what was next for you and perhaps we can get a little bit into your work as a musician and composer um how did you approach that differently after that realization
1: eh. well <laughs> the first thing that happened was that in a short time as I began to gather more and more information, because at the time there were probably a half a dozen books that were available and a half a dozen different recordings, including, let me bring to count whether he's a mentor or a model or a friend, Stephen Halpern, whose uh, Sound Health book was really one of the first things imaginable, and he was just great in his music, of course was back then, and even now, is, uh, is unto itself a, a tr- true model for, uh, if you like, uh, direction, relaxation, much more. But, um, there wasn't much going on. I created this organization called the Sound Healers Association, uh, which basically had these people come to, uh, teach once a month, and I would record all these sessions. I was getting an incredible background. I was getting an incredible background. And after about three or four years, I thought, gee, you know, this merits some sort of higher education. So I went to Leslie College. It was Le- it became Leslie University. But Leslie College in in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which had sort of a uh, create-it-yourself uh, program. And I came in with a stack of papers about yo saying, hey, I want to uh, create a program based on that. They said, it's a PhD dissertation you got there. I said, it doesn't matter. And uh, I did the program for about a year and a half and graduated with a master's from there. And then I took the master's degree thesis, which I called Awakening the Lost Chord, and um, ultimately that got turned into a book for, I think it might have been Simon and Schuster. I can't remember now. It was 700 pages. Incredible. All the information that I've been gathering for years, and years, and years. And a couple of really, really powerful things came from that. One of them was that I remember sitting in front of the computer, which at the time was using a DOS operating system. Pretty old. Uh, You know, dark, uh, screen and amber litters, And I, Natalie, I had a bunch of papers about Yohai. There were all sorts of different systems of using sound for healing that have been given to me by different doctors, spiritual masters, shaman, whatever, just how uh, the different sounds to work with the organs, to walk, work with the chakras, to work with all sorts of different things. And I come from a family of doctors, father, grandfather, brother, all medical doctors. So I had a pretty, at the time, uh, well-developed left brain. I said, okay, I'm gonna put this all together and uh, be the first person who's created a coherent level of what the different frequencies do for body, mind, and spirit. And I'm sitting there in front of this computer, it has got an amber little cursor waiting, flashing, waiting for me to enter something of consciousness because I'm starting to put this material together. But Natalie, <laughs> it don't jive. It just, you know, you had spiritual master A who would be using a particular series of uh, mantras for their uh, Chakras and spiritual master B using a very different sequence of uh, mantras for the chakras. Uh, and I was going, How can this be? Or Dr. X using some frequencies for a particular organ, Dr. Y using a completely different set of frequencies for the same organ. And I'm sitting there and I'm freaking out. I got my head in my hand. I'm going, How can this be? How can this be? My goodness gracious just didn't make sense. And this was at a time when nobody knew anything about sound healing, so there was no money involved. There was no fame or fortune. People were just telling me what they were experiencing, what they were using, how they were having success. I had no reason to believe they weren't telling the absolute truth, at least from their viewpoint. And yet, nothing correlated. And blessed be, in my state of angst as I'm rocking back and forth in front of this, Uh, sort of flashing gold cursor on a dark screen waiting for me to input something into it. A voice says it is not only the frequency of the sound that creates the effect, it is also the consciousness, the energy of the person making and receiving the sound, the intent. And I wrote down the words frequency plus intent equals healing. And I have to say from that, that that was back probably ah, 40 years ago. And I think it's more valid now than ever. And we can perhaps talk about this as we re- go into the quantum realm of sound and sound healing. That was the first thing that happened. The Second thing that happened during that whole thing uh, when I basically decided to work with this book and put it all together, was I had gotten a contract from some large company. It may have been Ballatine or Penguin. I can't remember now. Uh, I could check it out, but it doesn't matter. Because giving them 700 pages, I had never written a book before. And I didn't know, I thought that they did all the editing. And I got 700 pages back totally blue-lined. And, <laughs> you know, the, the bottom line was that uh, the book never came out. but some, a few years after that, I was in deep meditation and this uh, inner voice said, you need to write a book, and they gave me, I can look and see how many chapters, because it became, basically I took one or two chapters from this Awakening the Lost Chord, which incidentally a fellow by the name of Don Campbell gave him the title, the the name for it, and uh, But then, I took a few of the chapters and created uh, from that book and created Healing Sounds. I don't know how many books I could have created from that, uh, you know, it's still sitting in my garage somewhere. The information really, really relevant, uh, probably needing a good editor, but not that much because at the time, mind you, I did a whole chapter on chakras. And that got rejected because the concept of chakras was too alien to mainstream publication. So I mean the book was just way uh, too far advanced at the time, and that so I went there and we continued with having the sound healers for over ten years. I moved from the uh, Boston area to the Boulder area and we continued there for a while and talking about my uh, having talking about my uh, company spirit music which was at the time it was a new wave record company and um, I changed the music uh, we became one of the first new age or therapeutic music companies but we didn't bless it be have to change the uh, the name because spirit music is a cool name for a uh, uh, spirit stuff and um it's really been uh you know i'm jumping all over the place if you get more specific i'll uh it'll ground me
0: <laughs> no it's great yeah we can we can head into that direction of um you're composing i mean your music you have over twenty five best selling recordings right so you you've obviously really gotten immersed in composition and i remember de- you know 20 years ago going into a massage uh, studio and they were playing your music i mean it's really been received all over the world's and and wellness spas and things like that your music so um from being in a rock band to <laughs> composing that type of music what just what do you feel i i it's probably intention but what do you feel changed in your purpose as a composer and music maker.
1: OK, a couple of different things. I first want to just jump back because it reminded me of something of when I said I put down my Stratocaster for a number of years. Because when I would, you know, initially, uh, there were a lot of people who basically began to suggest that uh, rock and roll was the devil's music. <laughs> you know, and it was like, whoa, I'm not going to touch that. And then I had the experience with the frequency plus intent. And I realized that some of the most love encoded music and higher consciousness music I'd ever encountered was rock and roll, the Beatles. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. What higher encodement of consciousness can you have than that? So, um, I realized that for myself, at least, You couldn't take any one genre and uh, make it bad because it depended upon the type of music. And one of the things that I learned from John really early on was that, uh, you know, music affects the uh, metabolic uh, system real differently. So if if you're 15 years old, I was just talking about this actually uh, on a pretty well-known radio show a couple of nights ago, but as we age, not only does our nervous system, our consciousness shift and change, but oftentimes the type of music that we enjoy can also change. This fellow and I were about the same age and we were talking about at this point liking, you know, like light jazz and Sinatra and stuff like that, which when I was younger and playing in rock and roll bands that was so like square you couldn't get me near this and you know did uh, Sinatra become cooler or uh, simply have I has my listening changed? Now an interesting thing about Sinatra is that I think he's a great example of somebody who's able to embody emotional intentionality onto a song. So that uh, I don't know that he was the greatest singer. A lot of people go, oh Frank, he was the best. Maybe or maybe he could really tell a story really well, so that uh, this is a reference uh, that many may not get, but I don't know if when he was 17, it was a very good year, but you really believed it when he sang that. And I'm recently now reading this uh, thousand page autobiography by Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and she she's also a real interesting uh, character in terms of having Really, the ability of being an actress, and when she does her, uh, uh, <laughs> when she does her uh, singing, she tries to almost emulate and act the things so that the people really get it. Now, mind you, when I was younger, uh, when I was about seventeen, I went to see Barbara Streisand in uh, Central Park, uh, double date with somebody. And it was a terrible experience for me. I really just didn't like it at all. And, of course, now here I am uh, adoring her. And when I was 18 or 19, I went to Woodstock. And uh, Woodstock changed my consciousness hugely because it gave me, you know, if you like, Swami Satchitananda, this uh, guru, was the person who opened up uh, Woodstock by having a half a million people or more chanting all together. And I uh, you know, i am jumping all around from past to present to future, but um, we have right now probably in about a month an event called World Sound Healing Day coming up, which I think was probably influenced by the fact that, you know, back in 1969, uh, I experienced what it, what it felt like to have a half a million people chanting together and uh, you know, I, I think that that probably influences a consciousness. Uh, Swami Sachinath has also appeared in my life in other things, including uh, an ashram that he, uh, believe it or not, in uh, Virginia called uh, Yogaville. Really, that's the name of it. And it's great, it's got a structure called the Lotus Temple that looks a lot like the uh, Taj Mahal. But um, I was teaching uh, down there uh, there with uh, my wife, Andy, and we were going to be teaching something called The uh, the Divine Name, and uh, that is something I stumbled on back in the, uh, actually, mid-1990s. But this is, if you like, a, it's a sound that may be very, very sacred. And maybe actually, in the uh, ancient Hebrew, it's called the Tetragrammaton. It's the four-letter name that uh, was supposedly given to uh, Moses when uh, the burning bush, he says, who are you? And the burning bush says, I am that I am. And everyone thinks that this is the if you like, name that the being gave, and it is. It's a great affirmation of I am one, everything is one. But then it says after that, and here we go, going for, uh, to the book that I wrote about that uh, called The Divine Name, uh, says that my name is, and it's spelled out in Hebrew letters the Yod, the He, the Vav, and the He, which became an incredibly magical sound, to such a degree was not meant to be ever sounded out loud. And it seemed to me though, uh, there was in around 1994-95, a conference by a fellow by the name of Jeff Volk. I'm jumping all over the place and I will answer your question anyway, it's okay. Um, uh, And Jeff Volk was uh, was doing a sound colloquium that was taking place in New Hampshire and uh it was incredible there were probably 40 50 really of the well-known sound healers there that was were basically just sharing with audiences and i was there cuz i was one of the, you know one of the people you know in the field doing stuff and i um on the way back i uh, stopped off and uh went to visit uh Sarah Benson and her husband named Don Beeman he was a, who was a, was an ancient Egyptian magus disguised as an art professor at Boston University. And uh, when I woke up the next morning, I basically was given this sound. And the sound uh, stemmed from in spring of 1986, the spring equinox, I was in deep meditation. And I had been basically given the sequence of vowel sounds that you could use to resonate all your chakras. Now, in healing sounds and whatnot, uh, I do have a, probably a half a dozen different systems that were slightly altered and changed. And this particular one was given to me by guidance, and there, and I and I basically then put it into my books and all that stuff. It was basically. Um, Working with a system of vowel sounds that is now found in every one of my books and including the chakra chance recordings and all this other stuff Uh, So I had that as a if you like a field a model that I could do in my sleep But when I was waking up from this dream at Sarah Benson and Don Beeman's place I was told to intone the vowel sounds going from the crown to the root and then back up I couldn't do it (laughs) I literally had to write out the vowel sounds going up. I'd never done it back going down. And then I reversed it, and I reversed it, and then I went back up, and two things happened. Number one, I could feel the energy going from the crown to the root and back up. That I expected. The other thing was that I heard a sound that sounded very much like a harmonically related Yahweh. And it floored me, and I went, Oh my goodness gracious, this is just, uh, this is crazed. I came home and I shared it with my wife, and we both made the sound and sort of passed out. And then about a week later, I mean, I was, I was very concerned that I discovered something that was not meant to be uh, shared. I went out to uh, Portland to these two uh, master uh, teacher nur- nurses, and I shared with them, and we all, passed out again. and I was like, okay, this is uh, probably something I'm going to sit on for quite a while. And then around the year 2000, a fellow by the name of Greg Braden, who's pretty well known, was teaching something that he called the God Code. And I went out to uh, dinner with him after that, because you know, I'd gotten to know him, and I said, Greg, I think I may have somehow accidentally rediscovered this ancient uh, name, this tetragrammaton, that had been banned from the Bible, incidentally, and I shared it with him, and um, ultimately, that got released as the uh, first the recording of the divine name, and then I wrote this book, The Divine, divine Name to Share People, but this gets into creating sound. <laughs> okay, can't, can't escape from the uh, will or the spiral coming back down. So I'm going to acknowledge that, for me, almost every recording that I do is an experiment. Just to please myself, how does this sound? What would this sound like? And Natalie, half the time, if not more, maybe three quarters of the time, I feel like I'm simply a conduit for energy. That oh, wouldn't it be good. If I did this. Oh, wouldn't it be good. If I did this? And I do this whole thing together, almost in an altered state of consciousness, and then mix it down because I will return to these things sometimes months later, sometimes years later, and I'll go. Sometimes I forget that I created them. Sometimes I'm going how did I create this and whatever guided me to put this and that this together And sometimes I've had Really big assistance from the other side for example Musical instruments or sounds that I did not create will manifest on the recording so um, Probably the most conceptually I don't know, um, created recording that I ever did was one called The Lost Chord. Uh, I had originally done a recording called Chakra Chance that probably had a dozen different simultaneous tracks, and I I just wanted to, you know, what I had done was, uh, among other things, collected some systems from the healing sounds book. And I said, well, what if I use some of these systems together? What what would it be like? So I worked with, first of all, the vowel sounds, my friends, the vowel sounds I'd gotten. I also worked with the Bija mantras. also worked with a harmonically related diatonic scale. C, D, E, F, G, but the C begins at 256 cycles a second and it's using a particular, uh, if you like, Pythagorean uh, scale of tuning and um, and Then I also worked with shabd yoga sounds because I you know I, I had found and traveled in all these different conditions. So I wanted to go what would have happened if I put them all together Is it going to be noise and one of the things I discovered was no oftentimes Sacred sound likes to live together with other sacred sound. It was amazing. I mean, you, you know you can't just do it as gunk, but sometimes if you think a little bit more, these things will interface and weave with each other. And then I did a recording called The Lost Court. I said, okay, I, I've already done a diatonic, uh, you know, Dora Mifa Fa Solo uh, thing up uh, there. What would happen if we stayed the same in terms of the tonic, uh, the basically tonal note would be the same for each, but you would change the ratio so that it would go with the Fibonacci series. So it's 1 to 1, 2 to 3, what is it, uh, 3 to 5, 5 to 8, 8 to 13, going like that. And it, 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 literally, I think it's probably one of the more complex and really wondrous uh, recordings. I also uh, work with the Mantric forms from Uh, the Hindu tradition, bringing in, for example, the heart chakra, I would have the uh, the mantra for Tara, Om Tara, Tutara, Tres, Faha, and the mantra for the Avakira Svara, Omari Pade Hom, together, going counterpoint against each other. So I I I at one point was at an award ceremony, and it didn't that year win the best uh, album. Uh, Healing Sounds had uh, now, Chakra Chance had won it like a year or two before, but not this one. This one was runner-up and person I was with said, you should have called it the healing cord and not the lost cord because nobody wants anything that's lost. <laughs> but right. regardless...
0: Of- yeah, the power of the word. Yeah, the words that you use, yeah. <laughs> right.
1: But, you know, once again, so those two are definitely, and I worked at the time particularly uh, with some really wonderful engineers. There was a fellow, uh, uh who, uh, he's changed his name a lot of, uh, uh, but he was known as Akshara Weave, and he did a number of different, uh, uh recordings with me, and that one particularly, though, we were, we'd be up, uh, he'd come over to my house and have a recording studio in my basement. This is actually my recording studio with the Tonkas and all that stuff here. And, um, We'd be up 2, 3 in the morning just doing all this stuff, trying to figure out. But it, 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 there's some brilliant stuff on it, and I really, really honor that. But mostly the thing is, what would it sound like? And you know what? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work.
0: That's right. And and most importantly, it's the intention behind it, isn't it? If you're in really intent and encoding, infusing your sounds with that intent, it's that much more powerful, like you said. And yeah, a few things you mentioned there, I'd like to, to bring in a little bit more, um, some of those practices you mentioned using vowel tones, beige mantras, um, there's that balance of, well, it's all vocalization, isn't it? It's the power of using the voice. So we could get into that, um, and the hum a little bit, but also the aspects of space and silence, right? You talked about sacred sounds and inner sacred sounds. So, uh, we could go either direction, either uh, vocal work in general or or silence. <laughs>
1: overall, overall gestalt, I'm going to uh, give you the four pillars of sound healing, which is uh, really interesting. Uh, this came to myself and my wife, Andy. Okay, what are the four major things? And after we got it together, I said, you know, I wrote a book some years ago called The uh, Seven Secrets of Sound Healing and uh, I said, I wonder how these uh, four pillars uh, align with that. (laughs) I hadn't looked at it, I didn't know, but you know, whether it's the unconscious or subconscious or whatnot, the uh, four pillars are uh, the first of the uh, seven secrets, four four of the seven secrets. So the first one, of course, is everything is vibration, and uh, probably don't need at this point to like tell you about that. I'm going to say that of that, and the idea that the ancient mystics and our modern quantum physicists are in agreement that everything is in a state of vibration from the electrons moving around the nucleus of an atom, to planets in distant galaxies basically moving around their suns, they're all creating a vibration, that vibration can be perceived as being sound just because the sound has, uh, and I'm doing this really fast because this unto itself is an hour or more type of thing, uh, just because we can't hear it doesn't mean that there isn't a sound being created. We hear from about, one, uh, about 16 of what is called cycles per second to around 16,000 of these cycles a second, uh, or hertz, as they're called scientifically. But our friends in the ocean, the dolphins, can make sounds upwards of 180,000 cycles a second. So just because we can't hear something, but a dolphin may be either communicating with the energy of the Sirius uh, star system, where they may be from, or else we are exchanging uh, recipes for Tudor noodle casserole, I uh, <laughs> But bottom line is, okay, so everything is in vibration, and our body is in a state of vibration. Every organ, every bone, every tissue, when we're in a state of health, we're in a state of, if you like, uh, harmonic resonance. We're like this uh, string player who is playing the symphony of the self. And in fact, the entire orchestra and the string player, let's say, has lost their sheet music. And they're playing the wrong notes, the wrong harmony, and they play out of tune, pretty soon the entire string section is off, pretty soon the uh, entire orchestra is off, and this is what we call a part of our body that has lost its natural harmonic resonance, it's vibrating out of ease, out of harmony, therefore we call it diseased, and basically one of the major ways. Of working for healing is basically to restore the sheet music to the string player. So that's uh, just an overall quick little thing about the first pillar everything is vibration. There are also two ways that sound affects us. One is called psychoacoustics. Sound goes into our ear, into our brain, affecting our our nervous system, our heart rate, respiration, brain waves. The other one though, very important, it's called vibroacoustics. And this is where sound goes into our body, into a, going down to a, you know, a cellular level. And uh, a lot of people don't really think about this when you know, they just think about, "Oh, I, I can hear something." But oftentimes one of the key uh, phenomena of uh, sound healing may be vibroacoustics. This, of course, would be the work of, for example, Peter Guy Manners and his cymatic instrument or just as a little example here right now. I'm hitting my tuning forks together, which is going to sound like this. And this is great. My energy field, this is the interval of the fifth. This is great. So this is psychoacoustics. But now, if I take this tuning fork, I hit it, and whether or not you can hit, I'm putting it on myself, and the sound is going into a meridian or a point on my body and it's saturating by cells with uh, sound. And that's powerful. Here's a quote from the New York Times Science section, February 8, 1988. Sound shaped into dazzling tool can make, break, or rearrange molecular structure. And uh, it was talking about ultrasound, which is really uh, making headway in terms of music and medicine these days, but could also be dealing with just regular, if you like, sound within the normal range of consciousness that we can hear. So, you know, if you could, people said to me, what sort of conditions can be healed by sound? I said, well, conceptually, if you can rearrange molecular structure, you can probably deal with anything. That doesn't mean, you know, it will, but I'm just saying the possibility of it. There are two basic ways, if you like, approaches to using sound as, as a healing modality. One of them I mentioned, which is basically reinforcing the vibrations of an organ. This is, for example, some of the work that uh, Peter Guy Manners did, where he would basically, uh, and his concept was that if you could reinforce the vibrations of an organ, then the intruder whatever it was, would just fall away because that was the result of uh, a weakened field. But the other one, and we call that the constructive use of sound healing. The other one we call the deconstructive, and that's the basic idea that you can take a wine glass and shatter it with your voice. You can use sound to shatter things, whether it's uh, Joshua going around the walls of Jericho and the people giving a great shout and bringing it down or whatnot there is that aspect, and that aspect can be applied and is applied uh, to, for example, using viruses and bacteria and shattering them with specific frequencies. This was initially done by a fellow by the name of Royal Rife back in the 1930s, and um, it seems now that uh, there's a fellow by the name of Anthony Holland out of Skidmore who's been doing some work uh, with this. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's, um, there are these two different approaches, and I hope someday that they actually begin to work together. I've, I had this really, really life-changing, powerful dream many years ago, but where I basically saw that both the modalities, one frequency range would be sort of getting rid of the, uh, the intruders, and the other would be amplifying the organ so they, so the, or the person. So working together to create a harmonic uh, resonance between them all. It's interesting. All right. So the second pillar is that intent is powerful, and what's going to you know told the story about how I realized frequency plus intent equals healing. Uh, at the time that this uh, came to me, I have to tell you, Natalie, it wasn't well received by the scientific or medical community. I would be, I, I was at the time very involved with working with doctors and scientists, and I'd go, hey, have you ever thought of, you know, the importance of uh, intentionality? They'd look at me like I was a man from another planet, which I well may be, but they weren't supposed to know that. Uh, And some of the people's experiments were truly, truly focused on intentionality, and they didn't get it yet. But blessed be, since then, you have people like Joe Dispenza, you are the uh, placebo, Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief, Masuro Emoto doing her uh, his extraordinary experiments with water uh, crystallization, uh, just brilliant stuff. So now I can talk to people about intentionality. They go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and uh, it's not too hard. In fact, it's pretty easy. Everybody takes it as a given. Yes, of course, intentionality. At the time this uh, happened, it was so interesting because this fellow by the name of John Diamond, who is a uh, well-known medical doctor who's, who's a psychiatrist, who basically worked with kinesiology. And uh, he particularly was into the life energy of music and kinesiology, so that he found that if you play different music, it could make you strong. This, this, this is an, kinesiology, if you're strong, your arm won't be, uh, somebody's pressing on your arm, it's great, if you're weak, it'll go like this. And stuff that was not good for you uh, would make you weak. And this is, I mean, you know, and a lot of that, the one that really, for me, and I wrote about this in Healing Sounds, it was truly outrageous, was one of his students had me listen to a piece of music. It was actually the same piece of music played by Two different orchestras. Actually, the same. I'm sorry, it was played by the same orchestra with two different conductors. There you go. And one of the conductors was very into. We must play it like this and get it right. It must be perfect. And uh, the other fellow was really into. Oh, listen, music. The you know harmonic resonance of all that is, and I like, just enjoy it. And this woman said to me, uh, listen, check yourself out when uh, you listen to this. She didn't tell me what I was listening to. and It was the same piece of music. But one of them, my heartbeat started going faster, my respiration, and I started tensing up. And the other one, of course, I was in a very fluid, chilled out place. And then she informed me that the uh, fellow who was, shall we say, ego-driven in terms of doing perfection caused a tightness in me, and the other who was in. and So at that level is the energy of the conductor was able to transmit it. So talking about energy and stuff like that, oftentimes when I would do recordings, I would take either the master tape or the master CD and I would put it in the middle of a crystal grid. And I would do some sort of rituals asking that the beings of light and love through sound come into that so that those people who listen to it get the highest benefits of healing and transformation. Okay, the next, uh, one is, uh, and this is, I think, very, very important. Uh, the, the next, if you like, pillar or secret. First one was, we were all vibration. Number two, intent is powerful. Third one, we are all unique vibratory beings. Now, I think this is so important because you get so many people saying, use that frequency for X, Y, or Z, it'll heal you of X, Y, or Z. And um, I want to suggest that a lot of that may be due to our belief in, in the sound, the intentionality of it. But number two, just on a common uh, level, I w- almost always, when I'm speaking in front of a large audience and teaching, I say, how many of you are allergic to penicillin? And anywhere from 10 to 20% of an audience We'll raise our hand. I said, okay, if everything in the universe is in a state of vibration, penicillin is a sequence of vibrations, and for 80% to even more, it's going to be healing. But for 5 to 20%, it's going to be toxic. And I think that's an incredible metaphor for everything that I've ever encountered. Uh, I just have not found, perhaps maybe air, Uh, you know, uh, and maybe water, but even, you know, water, you know, depending upon people and their condition. But, I mean, so that simply allows us to be able to own what's happening to us. I could, you know, tell you a story of somebody, for example, was being given a certain frequency that was supposedly she needed, and she called me. She was actually a well-known musician from England. She said, Jonathan, you know, I'm feeling ill and she, what she did was she used one of my recordings and It somehow put her back in place. Blessed be. I said great. She called me a week later She said oh this woman wants me back to do more of the things. I said I wouldn't do it If were you. Well, she went back and this and it took her a whole lot longer So I think that we really just need to honor our experiences. This is so important that we need to really honor our experiences with sound And if something doesn't resonate with you, there are a gazillion other things that do. Fourth pillar, didn't think this was necessary. I actually found this uh, out after i had been probably doing sound for close to 20 years, close to. Uh, Silence is golden. Uh, People become so enamored with sound that they forget to be in the space of silence silence is the yin to the yang of sound it is the place where literally the frequency shifts can make the change that occur if you're if you're vibrating at this level and then all of a sudden you're vibrating at this level you don't give the sound the ability to make the shift and change if you're there people are not aware of that we really need To almost out, you know. When I ever, whenever I do a a sound exercise, if I'm sounding for five minutes, I have people be in silence for five minutes. So that one is just, I think, very, very important. Silence is golden, and just throwing that
0: out. Yeah, I agree yeah just as important as the the sounds created yeah so why don't we in our in our final minutes here let's talk a little bit about some uh things you have coming up, but it, which actually both both your your sot that you do monthly on YouTube with your wife, and then of course um the twenty second uh world sound healing day these are you know both kind of intentionalized uh use of sound with large groups of people. Maybe talk a little bit about um why that's powerful, you know, bringing people together with an intent and just a little bit about how people can participate uh, in these events coming up.
1: Well, thank you. Um, about 20 plus years ago, it was probably about 23 years ago, I was in a deep state of meditation. And I basically was given that I had assisted in bringing the use of sound Uh, for personal healing to the planet, and that was great, keep doing that, but I now needed to like, spread my wings, so to speak, and start using sound for planetary healing. And I thought, well, this is great, and then transmission got cut off. (laughs) And I had to figure out how, so my wife, Andy, and I talked uh, about this. We decided we would do it as a day once a year, when people would focus the energy of intentionalized sound to the Gaia matrix, the Earth Mother, for healing. And we decided we'd do this on Valentine's Day, February 14th. And uh, initially, as we went on, we worked simply with the ah sound, which is oftentimes one of the great sounds for the heart chakra. And we still, even this year, we're going to be focusing on doing one that's going to really manifest at noontime New York time. Now, there are hundreds of different events that are literally everything from crystal bowls to poets to guided meditations to X, Y, and Z happening all over the planet because of this. Because um, recently we've realized that uh, all sounds even the spoken word can be healing and can add and if you like, feed positively into the Gaia Matrix, the energy of Mother Earth. And um, it's just a great opportunity. People go to worldsoundhealingday.org They can see what's going on and they can also post an event, creating an event that they do, so if they're into sound healing and I trust that you're going to be doing when, uh, you know, because you are fabulous. And it's just interesting, I think that there may be a collective aspect of people getting together with intentionalized sound, then could be much, much, if like less people with higher consciousness is really more than a whole lot of people with a uh, not too uh, uh, positive vibrating consciousness i.e love is much more powerful than fear and people who are into love and into kindness and generating that you can have a few of those and they can outweigh hundreds thousands or maybe even millions of people you know in the different uh, traditions whether it's the hebrew tradition they have like 36 sodakam and In the Hindu tradition, there's like 72 avatars. There's small numbers of people who are perhaps in caves or unknown that are helping keep the planetary balance. Then let's assist them by, you know, doing something like this. And of course, there are phenomena such as the Global Consciousness Project, which is able to, what they did was they found that if you take a random number generator, and a random number generator is simply a computer that puts equal numbers of zeros and ones out, supposedly. So a uh, hundred times you get fifty zeros and fifty ones. Uh, when these computers are near, near fields of high compassion, the numbers become less random. And all of a sudden it's like, how or why? But normally, it'd be a straight line if it was equal fifty zeros and fifty ones, but you, because the numbers are less random, it kind of can look like a peak if that occurs, and that occurs very frequently with events of high compassion. Not events of large excitement, but high compassion. And that's just, that's so very, very interesting, and um, this is just one way of measuring the fact that somehow we are creating a feedback loop between ourselves, other people, and Mother Earth. And just real quick, when I first came up with the idea of World Sound Healing Day, I said, "Okay, the internet is currently the neural net of the planet. It's the mind. How can we activate the global heart?" It was okay. In all these different traditions, the connecting link between mind and heart is sound. So that's why, you know, you can feel it. When we do our, uh, we do a once a month sound satsang. Usually, uh, if you go to our website and uh, join our uh, email list, you'll you'll get notification of it. But we, uh, you know, do the uh, sound satsang as a phenomena in which we can at least, for five or 10 minutes, once a month, coalesce with people. And I think it's so very, very important.
0: Do you find that, uh, last question here, do you find that to be the most important aspect of your work right now? Or or what's most important to you right now, do you think? Uh, Yeah.
1: Okay, so really, yes, uh, uh, I had my uh, birthday last month and I was really, really deep and I was going, okay, give me some new stuff that I'm supposed to do. I didn't, all I got was validation and particularly the importance of doing events such as World Sound Healing Day. And um, on a level, as a metaphor, if we can somehow use events such as World Sound Healing Day to soften and smooth out the layer of emotional toxicity that is currently available on the planet so that we can take the scream of war and turn it into the cry of love, then all will be well. It's It's the only thing that I know how to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just think, and and I've really gotten that you don't want to eliminate anybody. You just want to shift their consciousness. And one of the ways to do that, I'm going to share with you, is the concept of compassionate understanding. And compassionate understanding, simply on one level, means listening to the other person, trying to understand even though you may not agree with them, understand where they come from. Because the old phenomena of walking a mile in someone else's moccasins, all of a sudden, if, if we're just busy pointing a finger at the other person saying, you're wrong, well, as my wife Andy says, you point one finger at uh, someone else, you're usually pointing three or four at yourself. So if we can somehow get to that level of practicing compassion and understanding, because there's so much divisiveness on this planet now. And there are forces that are seemingly being used to manipulate and control us. And the easiest way that we can do that is to be in fear. And one of the most powerful things that my wife, Andy, and I have been teaching, particularly for people who don't know about sound. So we teach them about the four pillars of sound healing. And then we teach them about humming because the hum is a sound that everybody can use. When you begin to hum on just one note with intentionality, you get immediate reduction of heart rate, brain waves, you get lowered blood pressure, you get increased levels of melatonin, you get releases of endorphin, you get the release of oxytocin, you get increased heart rate variability, and you get increased levels of nitric oxide, the fabulous vasodilator that's... uh, also a wonderful antiviral agency. So you get all these things happening. And we just say, hey, if you're like stressed out, just sit there and do four or five deep hums. In fact, let's do this just for a moment. I'm going to go on because what better way uh, to uh, conclude this? We could, you know, th- thank you for being so kind. I was rambling through uh, memory lane. Oh, here. it was
0: great. Fantastic. It- yeah, fantastic.
1: I, mean, I have stock answers for stuff, and I said I'm going to use this as an opportunity to share a little. And uh... yeah, thank
0: you, thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah,
1: beautiful. Okay. Um, in fact, so I can be totally coherent, I have it written over here. When you are uh, doing conscious humming, first of all, to do a conscious hum, you got to make sure that your lips are closed. That's the first thing. I say that, and then we'll play a game for a minute, just in case. I want you to hum on one note, mm, comfortably, and pinch your nose.
0: Okay. Mm. Completely okay. stops it. Completely sure. stops the. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. and, I, and I say to people, okay, if you didn't know that, most people don't know it. Is there are other things about humming. So once again, make sure you're. Mm, otherwise, you go. Mm-oh. Here's one, a little backtrack real quick. Going back to Swami Satyananda, going into Yogaville, we're going there to teach the divine name. And lo and behold, I'm thinking about a book, writing a book on humming because it's so important. And humming is just the gateway sound that everybody can make. Nobody's judgmental about it. You don't need to have a PhD in voice. Everybody can hum. Babies hum, the elderly hum. Everybody hums you. Hum when you feel good. And... Uh, I happened to walk in uh, to the uh, room that they had for us, and there was a version of uh, Swami Satchitananda's translation of the Yoga Sutras. Yoga Sutras is a very ancient book. Every spiritual guru has done their own translation of it. This is Swami Satchitananda's. I opened it up just synchronistically, and there is Sutra 1.27, and it said basically, the original sound of creation was pranava, the humming of prana. They had to give it a name, so they called it OM. So the OM came from uh, the hum. So it's also a very sacred sound. So when we're going to be consciously humming, we'll mm, have our lips closed. Take nice couple of nice deep breaths before that. If you like, breath is the essence of hum. If you can hum, you can uh, you can, uh Help your breath, and if you can breathe, you can hum. Hum in just one note. Don't go around doing zippity doo da but just hmm, and um. Do it in a comfortable pitch. There's so many people who are looking for. Oh, I want to find my, you know, my vibratory frequency, and I've personally found that our vibratory frequency is usually. In the, in the range of our uh, conversational voice. And from there, you can have harmonics or overtones or undertones, but it's somewhere there. And so, and just once, and second, don't match my uh, voice when we're doing this together. And um, remember that louder isn't better and more isn't better. And one of the things about uh, in sound healing is we just, you get so enamored with the, the sound that, oh, I can't, you know, a little bit goes a long way. And it can be very, very powerful. So, and then the last thing is you're going to check yourself out at the beginning, just so you see where you're at. And then at the end, we're going to be at an equal amount of uh, silence. So, it, we'll, we'll hum maybe four times this time. just And anybody who's watching could perhaps try this with us. And then we'll be in silence for just a little bit. And uh, so, check yourself out. Deep and relaxed breath. Keep your lips closed. Hum on one note. Hum on a comfortable pitch. Do it about four or five times and then be in silence for an equal amount of time. How does that sound, Natalie? Will you sound? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So a couple of nice deep breaths. Breathing down, if you can, to your heart. And now just a very gentle and kind hum. Mm. just being in silence for a few moments and because our time is limited I'm gonna try to bring myself back a little faster than I normally would because I'm a little bit blissed out and buzzed out from that Mm -hmm. but uh, it's something I think that people should try conscious humming all the time. Natalie what was that like for you?
0: Mm. Very Mm. relaxing, uh, centering. I just really kind of felt um, a lot of presence and vibration uh, from the cranium down into my chest Mm. and when I opened my eyes uh, things look clearer and Mm. brighter as Mm. well. So a a change in focus or clarity too. Yeah beautiful yeah
1: by doing that you literally was um also produced 15 times the amount of nitric oxide that you'd normally produce in your nasal cavity which is enough to take care of some of the nasty critters that are floating around so it's a uh, it's very good if you have sinusitis or anything like that
0: Oh fantastic thanks for sharing that with us that's such a um not only is it practical simple you can do it at anywhere every day um but it has so many benefits it's just uh, yeah extraordinary fantastic that's a great way to to leave everyone with a an easy tool to help them so thank you again so much for your time but especially for your work and the passion you have behind it oh beautiful look at that yeah
1: (laughs) right you're ball and a stick yes um, we can hit both our balls together but instead i will just um say thank you for this opportunity um i invite people to come to the healingsounds.com website we've got lots of great courses uh that are online there and uh, you know whether it's from me or from a tibetan Lama Lama tashi doing the mm-hmm. tibetan deep voice or whatnot and the uh, the divine name and chakra sounds and all that stuff. And also, I'm most juiced about the idea that we heal the planet, we heal ourselves. We heal ourselves and we heal the planet. We have a choice and we can make a difference. I think that intentionalized sounds such as events and World Sound Healing Day and many, many other uh, types of things are going to be mandatory and small groups of people are going to be able to make really positive and shifts and changes. <laughs>
0: Thanks so much for tuning into this five year anniversary episode of Sounds Heal podcast sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. You can keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. You can follow and, and check out things at Facebook, Sounds Heal Studio, Instagram at Natalie Brown Sounds Heal on YouTube on the Sounds Heal Studio channel. And thanks again for supporting this podcast. Be well and stay tuned.